at my course I'll give you here at Canterwood down in Gig Harbor. Very difficult golf course, first built. The architect was told, make it the hardest course in the state. He did it. And I know when I first moved here in 1993, people would come out and play the golf course and they would not join. Why? It's too hard. And it wasn't the guys that were saying it. It was the women. At 55 to 5,600, it was too much. We added about eight years ago forward tees to get it down to 5,100. Before those forward tees were added, a lot of my friends, the older guys that were here, they absolutely steadfastly said, there's not a chance I'll ever play the ladies' tees, which were at 55, 56. Now we fast forward eight years, and those guys all winter long play the old forward tees at 55 to 56. Many of them retain that through the entire year. And now we have the silver tees and our silver tees are down around 51. And there's a few of them playing there. And I know that when we finish, we still have some tees we need to do that they'll move there. Well, if they weren't there, they'd probably quit. And that's no business model to have. You've got to retain your older players. And then again, on the other side, when new players come to join, and then there's kids. You better have something there that they enjoy. Gosh, that was fun. I'd like to play here all the time. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks for joining us. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on either iTunes or our show page at mod.golf so that you'll never miss the latest engaging story with my amazing guests. If you'd like to receive our monthly newsletter, please sign up on the Mod Golf Podcast website to receive the latest news relating to the innovative future of golf. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Larry Gahuli, who is an agronomist with the USGA and an advocate of the Teen at Forward program. I had the pleasure of meeting Larry when he was presenting at the British Columbia Golf AGM, where he really telling about all the virtues of this program. And afterwards, I said, Larry, you got to be on the podcast. This is such compelling stuff to help move the game forward. So Larry, thank you very much for agreeing to do this. And uh, thanks for joining us today. And welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. Uh, it's my pleasure, Colin. I've been with the USGA for 36 years. And uh, I got to tell you, in that 36 years and before, this has probably been my hottest topic that I've discussed visiting golf courses, thousands of golf courses over the Western United States and Canada, and in some cases around the world. It's a problem that we need to face. It's a problem that's been around a long time. And so it's a pleasure to, to share some thoughts with you. Yeah, and I'm really excited excited for this and just the information, the way you walked us through the data you had and the way you visualized that, which we will include all those visuals in the show notes for our, our listeners here. Yeah, I just love this program and it is yet another great gateway to keep people in the game and also introduce them to the game. And I'll let you talk about this rather than me go on. But Larry, out of the gate here, I want you to define, because to be honest, I've been in the golf industry now for ah, five or six years and it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I knew what the heck an agronomist was. So please define for our listeners what is an agronomist? Yeah, agronomy is the study of crops and soils. And I was fortunate to uh, get a degree from Washington State University, go Cougs, back in 1975, and then was able to come into the golf industry and work at Seattle Golf Club for nine years as an assistant superintendent and briefly as the superintendent, and then came to work for the USGA in 1983. So I've been an agronomist for the USGA for now 36 years. And it's just basically the study of crops and soils probably the most intense agricultural site that you'll ever find anywhere in the world. This is not raising a crop and taking the harvest off and making money on it. It is raising a crop daily and uh, having to deal with probably some of the harshest critics that you could find anywhere in sporting events. 
of any kind. So that's what an agronomist is. And I guess the advantage I have over superintendents is that I get to come in and look at the golf course and, and then I get to leave. <laughs> and that's, that's an advantage because some of the things I have to say, those golfers don't want to hear, but that's what we do. Got it. Okay. So let's kind of bounce around a little bit here and let's focus on the T It Forward program. Now you did not create this, but as I said, you are an advocate for this. Could you please then give us an overview? And it's a joint initiative, I believe, between the USGA and the PGA of America. So I'll let you explain to our listeners what it is and let's take a high level look of why was this created for the three reasons that you've been talking about, the main three reasons of the biggest issues that the game is facing. Yeah, and T It Forward is just the, the moniker that the USGA and others have come up with. And this is just a part of that. It's the concept of getting golfers to move forward to their appropriate distances. And really the three big things in the game that I think we face, and I, I believe is a bullseye on what I'm going to be talking about, is pace of play, player enjoyment, and economic sustainability. And when players play the appropriate distance tees, they will play faster. When they play those tees, they'll score lower. It will be more fun. And then finally, the economic sustainability part is our game's getting older and those older people have lost swing speed. And what I'll be talking about is all about swing speed. As they age, we want to retain players into the game. And this does that by adding forward tees. And then also to attract younger players into the game, it's a key. You don't want to bring young kids or any beginners into the game and, and start them out on a, a tee that is so far forward, they'll have no success at all. I like to tell people that hypothetically, let's say you're going to go start a business and uh, your goal is to be profitable. Well, let's make sure to start that business and tick off 50% of your potential customers by making it so hard that they don't enjoy it and don't want to come back. It makes no sense. So the T at Forward program is just trying to get the game more fun for more people and really make the game better and make it play faster and, and address the weaknesses. Right. So you have accumulated a lot of data and a lot of data points to arrive at or really to build and defend the hypothesis of why the T should be moved forward for recreational players. So let's start at the beginning. I believe this is the beginning, the way you presented it a couple of weeks ago, and that is with swing speeds. And you talk about people aging out as they get older. Sadly, with myself, as I get older, my swing speed's going down. With youth, of course, not having high swing speeds, and also with women. And those are three real areas as far as retention and growth for the game. So why don't you just tell us some numbers as compared to, let's say, PGA players or elite-level recreational players and, and where that starts and, and leads to what you've developed here. Yeah, and please don't take this the wrong way. I, I enjoy watching the stars play golf, but this has really nothing to do with those players because they represent an incredibly small minority of the game. The people that pay the bills are the regular players. This goes back quite a ways, Colin, just a, a real quick background. One of the things I went back to the USGA Museum and found this massive glass display. And in it was an article by a lady named Alexa Sterling. And the, the article she wrote dated January 1917, so over 100 years ago. Right. Quote, women handicapped by men's courses, end quote. And this is the women's amateur champion. And she's talking about the proportional equality is not there. And you end up with players hitting shots into greens with low trajectory woods and irons or not even reaching the greens while those with better swing speeds are hitting wedges. And it's a fascinating discussion. And so it's not a new subject. It's been around over 100 years. And that's the first time I saw it. Another quick background point, too, is something that just came out this year to kind of touch on this whole thing. And this is a, a study that was just done by the American Society of Golf Course Architects. And you can find this on their website, but it's called the 2019 ASGCA SLRG Golf Facility Market Trend Watch is the name of it, long title. 
But the question is asked is thinking about the needs, and this is to general managers of clubs, thinking about the needs of today's golfer, your customers or members, please rank the importance you perceive they would place on each of the following amenities or services. So in 2018, the leading answer was a dedicated short game practice learning area. The next one was an enhanced practice range. The next one was a dedicated outdoor event space. And coming in fourth was additional tee box options that allow for a shorter golf course. The same research group asked that question this year. Same question. Number one by a mile was adding additional forward tees. 70% went up from 40% to 70 and all the rest of them dropped down below. So what's going on here is a trend. It is absolutely related to swing speed. And again, as swing speeds are decreasing, there's more of a desire for players to move forward. So that then led to, and it has over the past few years, research done by both the PGA and the USGA showing that the average swing speeds for players, male and female, is not anywhere near the pros. And based on what is determined, it is very good. I'd have all of your listeners go onto the PGA website, and it's a nice short article about setting your course up for success. And in that, it shows not just the swing speed analysis and data, but also how long par threes, par fours, and par fives should be as far as maximum distance based on the distance the players actually hit shots. So everything's about swing speed. Very quickly, the numbers for the average female, which is a 25 handicap, as determined by the USGA through surveys, has a swing speed of 60 miles an hour. That person is going to hit a driver at sea level on a flat piece of property, 140 yards. They're going to hit a three-wood 120 yards. So right there, you know that the par threes should not exceed 140 yards because that's the driver length. The par fours should not exceed 260 yards because that's a driver in three-wood. And then the par five should not exceed 380 yards because that's a driver three-wood, three-wood. On the flip side of that, on the male side, the average handicap of a male player in North America, the U.S., is 14. Their swing speed has been found to be about 81 to 90 miles an hour. They hit a driver 210 yards. They hit a three-wood 190. So taking the same information, the same idea, par three should not be over 210 for the average player. Right. And par four should not be over 400. And a par five should not be over 580 or 590, sorry. So you see, you can see a big discrepancy in the distances there. So now we get back to the golf courses. I think I've gone through 100 to 150 courses and literally, I would say 95 to 97% are at least a thousand yards too long from the forward tees based on that swing speed data. Now, I find this interesting. There's other factors at work here too that I know you're going to get into. And this is the ego, especially with men. And it ties into player enjoyment. I could talk about this personally, that I like to think, oh, I hit my average drive 245 as a guy in his early 50s. But I now have, and I've had them on as a guest with Arcos with their technology. So at every club, I've got it tracked of how far I hit it. And I know <laughs> that's not true. My average drive is about 223. So just doing the math, like you said, you just add it up. So if I'm hitting three wood, coming out of my shoes to try to hit the green, which I will do maybe one every uh, one in 10, maybe my enjoyment is going down. Whereas I move it up. It's like you've talked about here. All of a sudden I'm hitting a short iron into the green. I'm on the green. I'm putting for birdie more often. I'm enjoying the game more. So if I'm playing at, and you'll get into the numbers of the length of the course Mm -hmm. of what it should be. But if I'm playing a course from the forward tees, that's a thousand or 1200 yards shorter. My enjoyment goes up and the pace of play goes up too. Yeah. Good way to describe it. I talk about this on every visit I go on to try to get the point across to folks especially the guys because they hit the ball longer. And I'd ask you, Colin, what do you hit a ball 
from 140 yards into the green. What club do you hit? I hit, knowing the numbers, I hit an eight iron. Okay, so next time you go out and play, take all the clubs above an eight iron. So your seven iron and all your woods and leave them in the trunk or in the locker and go out and tee off on the first tee with a, an eight iron. Play from the regular tees. Play the whole golf course with eight iron, nine iron wedges putter. When you get done, ask yourself, was it fun? And the answer is probably going to be no. And <laughs> why? Well, it took longer. It took a lot more shots. I didn't have very many chances at birdie. I was hitting on the greens and trying to make putts for par. And of course, the obvious answer or retort to that is, well, welcome to the average woman playing a golf course. It's not fun. Right. And on top of that, if you start looking at your golf course, and I'll say this, if even if it's 4,800, you have a lot of shots that are being hit by those with slower swing speed. And I'm not saying this is just women. It's the average woman, but there's also a lot of senior guys that are, have lost a lot of swing speed. So they got the slow swing speed. They hit low trajectory shots and they got to hit over a bunker. Well, you got no chance because they're hitting three woods or hybrid long irons with low trajectory. And if you land on the green, it's over. And if you land short of the green, you're in the bunker. So players will shoot off to the side, and it's really frustrating for those that don't have swing speed. The other thing that on golf courses that we see a lot of is combo tees will uh, have the option, if they don't want to play the forward tee, they play the next combo back or the next tee or the next tee. Well, everybody that plays the game that has decent swing speed could play every tee on the golf course. Right. Well, guess who can't? It's the people with slow swing speed, which is your average female player and a lot of your increasing amount of seniors. So it's something that it's very obvious. I talk to superintendents or anyone in the golf industry and they just watch their players and they just, they say the exact same thing. Right. And this is a hundred percent of the people in the industry. I feel sorry for the poor women. And the quote I hear all the time is if I had to hit that many shots all the time, I wouldn't play. Right. Well, there's a great thing to do for an industry. No wonder we are having problems retaining players into this game. It's too hard. We need to make it more fun. Absolutely. And those two points there, and we will get into that and also with helping new players get into the game. But one thing I wanted you to talk about here, and I, I found this really interesting, and this is more of the psychological and social aspect of this rather than the pure numbers that we'll dig into a little bit more to arrive at the distances or lengths of a course as you see as it should be from higher enjoyability. But tell us about what happened when you changed the color of the front tees from red and what red has traditionally implied and why that has been a stubborn ego-fueled barrier for moving people up, especially men. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. By far, the most people that get upset about it are the males, and that's their ego involved. But I do run into courses where the lady players will steadfastly say, no, we, we have to have that color. Those are RTs. Well, no, they're just a distance. I got a kick out of one article, I think it was about three years ago, in the Vancouver Sun wrote an article, and I believe it was Mayfair Lakes, that did exactly the right thing, in my opinion. They eliminated the red by putting it on the back of the tee, and they took the black tees and put them in the front, and immediately saw an improvement in pace of play. Why? Because the players move forward. They weren't worried about the quote-unquote ladies' tees, which don't exist anymore. There's a huge ego problem. And again, I present this as a gender real issue, but it really is not a gender issue. What's driving this whole thing is the older guys playing need to move forward, but a lot of times their ego won't allow them to move to those current forward tees that could be 53, 5400. Well, the data on swing speed shows that it's exactly where they should be playing from. 
but those are red tees that are, quote, on the ladies' tees. Their ego won't allow it. So as soon as you put the properly distance or even another set in front of that current forward tee, they all move. And not all of them, but a lot of them move. And I've seen that consistently on golf courses. So the first thing I do when I come to a club is get a scorecard and look down to the bottom and see if the color's red. And the first recommendation I'll say, get rid of it. And on that subject, there's a trend going on in the golf industry that I promote all the time. Didn't come up with it, but I love the idea. Get rid of colors entirely. Unfortunately, red is denoted as ladies' tees. Quite often, gold is senior tees. White is regular tees. And blue or black are the championship tees. Right. Well, you get rid of all the colors and just go one, two, three, four, five. And I've seen, just played a golf course down in uh, California. It had the five numbers. It was great. And they reported that, yep, as soon as we changed the colors, we saw a lot more people moving up. And I've seen it in Calgary, a lot of courses in Calgary and a bunch in Denver. And this is over the past five or six years. So I hope that's a trend that continues because we don't need the colors on T markers in golf. Interesting. The colors have, I guess you could say, really a stigma attached to them that if you're playing from there, it's like, well, 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 you're not playing a full round of golf or somehow I'm only playing three quarters of a round of golf. Can I really count that against my handicap? And what's the slope? And people worry about that. And, and I, I'm sure with the work that you do, Larry, as far as people taking up the game, not worrying about what is it golf? Do you have to actually play from 6,500 yards or even play 18 holes to consider that golf? I know that is changing as far as in the minds of people that have even played for a long time of what it is to define what a round of golf or a golf experience actually is. Yeah, the, the magical number was always 6,000 yards. That's gone. Right. As far as I'm concerned. And then an interesting thing, going back 100 years, the color red and where it came from and why it's called what it is. It came from Shinnecock. Okay. Yeah, it came from the golf course there. The women that played there had to prove that they could move on to the regular golf course. And they had this quote unquote red course they had to play. And if they played three good rounds, then they could upgrade to the longer regular course. And so that's where the ladies tease and that whole concept of red came from was from Shinnecock, which I did not know. Interesting. Interesting. So let's get into the math a little bit more. So you started out talking about swing speeds and how far both men and women, recreational average players hit each club. So you go to a new course, I'm assuming you look at their scorecard and you go, tell us about this, you go hole by hole. And if you can't hit on a par four driver three wood or on a par five, like you said, driver three wood, three wood, which you don't want to be doing. If the total distance of those on average is is less than the length of the hole, you put an X beside that and then a check mark between the ones that you can. So you can you kind of walk us through that step of the process of what you do? Sure, Colin. Uh, what I've got, I've been fortunate enough that the guys in our green section staff, much smarter than I, took the data from the PGA and the USGA and combined it into a really cool Excel spreadsheet that I can do any golf course, basically put their numbers in. What I do is I take the forward tees and put the yardage in the par for each hole, whatever that might be. And then I find out what is the regular tee the average guy is playing from, the 14 handicap. I don't care about the back tees, don't care about any other tees. What is the one that the average guy plays from? And put in those yardages and those pars. And then in this spreadsheet, I hit a button on it and it goes to the next page and it gives me a sheet. And on that sheet, it tells me instantly with a green check if the player can reach the green in regulation on the male and the female side. And it's all based on swing speed. Again, the average female 25 handicap, swing speed 60, average guy 14. And the goal is to try to match them up so that I can now take this tool and could never do this before and match a husband and wife going out to play average players and 
obviously she's not hitting the ball as far. So her second shot with a wedge has to be 60 yards from the green. His second shot with a wedge is 100 yards. So she'll be 40 yards in front of him. And you go out and just do this. It takes me 20 minutes to do a golf course. And virtually every time I've gone to a course, not even set foot on it, or I've even done it on a computer and sent it to folks. And I'll, I'll ask them, boy, you're Third hole looks like it's a tough one for the guys. It's 438. And most of your guys can't reach. That's right. And your third hole, boy, that, that one looks pretty easy. Little flip wedge or whatever. I'll look on the women's side and it's, it's all fairway woods or more than fairway woods. The guys will have this nice, beautiful chart. I have pie charts and I have tables that show the distribution of getting onto greens and regulation. And most courses will have one or two, maybe some of them don't have any that you can't, average player can't get on the green and regulation on the male side or a player with a swing speed playing those tees of 81 to 90 miles an hour. Right. And as soon as you go over to the other side, it's horrific in a word. Most courses are, I'd say, just did five courses and visits in Oregon this week. And all five of them were over a thousand yards too long. All five of them had between 15 to 17. Well, there's one that had 18 holes that you had to either use driver or were unreachable in regulation. That's just crazy. So it takes a real quick look at the guy's club. If a guy is hitting a wedge into a green on a par four, I know instantly that the hole for the player with a 60 mile an hour swing speed should be 200 yards. They're going to hit it 140 with a driver and 60 yards with a wedge. The guy is hitting a driver 210, and let's say he's hitting the holes 310. He's hitting a wedge. There's the match. If the guys are having to hit a driver and a fairway wood, it's 400 yards, then the, the hole should be 260 for the women. And it's all based on swing speed. It's And it's just simple math. Yes. And speaking of math, what they, I will say, I'm glad that you are a numbers nerd like me because you referred to an Excel spreadsheet as really cool. So uh, yeah, we get each other. Well, the other thing on that spreadsheet, that's and again, I can't take credit for this, but man, is it a neat tool because it isn't just numbers. Our agronomist down the Southeast has now devised, besides the main chart that comes up and it tells you whether you can reach the green or not, and then it shows you how many yards out each player of that gender would be. And then it shows you on the end what club it would take to reach the green. Underneath, he's now added further evidence. It'll show a table and it shows you, they've got it broken down on a driver, a fairway wood, a hybrid long iron, which is hybrids or a five iron, a mid iron, which is a six or seven iron, and then a short iron, eight or nine iron and wedge. So each one of those categories has a chart. And then uh, on the female side, the same thing. And you look at those tables and there'll be like 16 or 17 on the chart, way up the chart on the female and the driver. And there might not be any on the other side. So you, every course I go to is a nice, even distribution of difficulty of different clubs into greens for the average male and the females. There's very seldom any wedges in the greens or short irons and most places, not even mid irons. And so when I fix it and match them up, it shows absolute perfection. They end up exactly the same. And then underneath that, for those that can't figure out tables, got a great pie chart. And the pie chart, if you like red pie, <laughs> uh, you'll, you'll see a lot of it Bet. on the average female side, but nice color distribution and nice slices on the men's side. But when it matches up, it matches. And when I show that to people, it stops them because you now see your course is off and you need to add, and I'll, I'll say this word, optional 
forward tees. Optional is a good word. So you've touched on the player enjoyment aspect there. So one of the other big issues you mentioned out of the gate facing the game was the economic sustainability. So you said you go into a club and on average you say you need to move everything forward optionally by a thousand yards. So now this is a case of change management. How do you go about doing that? And what you presented to us is not just sticking a new set of blocks in the middle of a fairway because that doesn't look like a quality experience uh, or like it's an after thought. So you have a cost attached to the actual tee box that needs to be built. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that and how much per hole it costs, how long it takes, and how that factors into the economic upside for golf course owners and operators. Yeah, sure. When I say, you know, the word sustainability gets overused, Yeah, but it presents the point. And when I say economic sustainability, I get the attention of the managers. I get the attention of the members. And pace of play, this thing hits it on a bullseye. Player enjoyment, there is no question. But how does it make it economically sustainable when you have to build these things? And that's one of the things that people come at you and say, well, we got that costs money. Whoa, wait a minute. It doesn't cost that much. This gets into the agronomics a little bit, but it's the antithesis of what an agronomist would recommend. We recommend building tees out of sand, especially the Pacific Northwest, so the water will go through them and they'll be firm and all that. Well, with these new fairway tees, you don't necessarily build them out of sand unless you've been top dressing your fairways for a decade or two. Okay. You want to build these things, number one, out of a soil that's similar to where on the fairway or where you might put them. And a lot of these tees do go on the fairways. So you don't have extra fertilization. You don't have extra irrigation. It's close to the fairway or it's part of the irrigation system of that fairway. Number two, if you put it on a fairway, you don't want this thing to be visually offensive but it has to be flat. You need to tell the players that yes, this is a tee. It's just as important as every other tee on a golf course, but it needs to be flat. So it needs to be about four to six inches with what I'm recommending, which is the opposite of what a lot of folks do. They'll build these tees up. Don't want that because you want to keep them low to the ground so your fairway mowers can mow them and there's no extra cost. There's no extra tee that's been put in. And then, um, a lot of times guys will just take a sod cutter and cut the sod that's on the fairway, right. set it off to the side, build the thing up to whatever they want. Basically 500 square feet is where you should be. And maybe 750 square feet to a thousand square feet total. Cause you have to feather these things off softly on the side. So your mowers don't scalp. And the ones that have done it right, San Francisco golf club, I know Seattle golf club's done it up here in the Pacific Northwest and other courses have done it either outside contractor or inside, but when they do it right, it just blends in and you just put the T markers on it and it's done. So that's the way you build them is you make them good. You make them low profile and put as many on the fairways as you can. Now, the question that comes up when you build these things is how much does it cost? Well, if you use the sod off your fairway, there's no cost there. You're not increasing the cost of maintenance on this if you're putting them on the fairway. The only thing that slows down is the mowers out there has to get off the mower and move the markers. That's it from a maintenance standpoint. But the actual cost in-house, one golf course case study in Gillette, Wyoming, superintendent had five guys near the end of the year, the grass had stopped growing. So they decided to start building these tees last fall. He reported me the cost per tee was about $600. And that was for one tee, five guys, eight hours, and they finished it in one day. Wow. So yeah, that golf course is a good one for in-house. Now, outside contractors, usually averaging about 1000 to up to maybe $2,000 a tee, and that's it. So the cost is not that much. Now, we have another tool that we use that further solidifies this whole discussion. It's called a resource management tool. There's a cost involved in maintaining fairways that's more expensive than maintaining roughs. Right. 
And if you add a forward tee, let's say 60 yards in front of your existing forward tee, and your fairway starts right now, right near that forward tee, you could take 60 yards of maintained fairway and put it into rough. And this tool that the USGA has can estimate the cost savings. And in most courses that I go to, it's around $1,000 to $2,000 per 10,000 square feet of reduced fairway. If a tee costs 1000 or 2000 to build and you can save 2000 annually, that's pretty good return on investment there, I'd say. Uh, absolutely. And you just touched on it there. I was going to ask you now, kind of leading into the resource tool. If you can describe for us the example you gave, and once again, I'll be providing the visuals that you had provided for this example of a, a par five and how far recreational women hit it and where they hit it and how far men hit it. I understand you did from heat tracing data sets that you had from players having uh, these trackers in their pockets. So you knew exactly where they were hitting the balls. Can you walk us through that example? Because I, I just love the fact that the data doesn't lie and it tells you exactly uh, where people are hitting the ball and where then, as you said, you can save money rather than treating it as fairway. You can treat yeah. it as rough or you can even just let it go wild and go natural because people just don't hit balls there. So tell us a bit about that process with the data. Sure. The uh, the data that I took was at the OGA course, the Oregon Golf Association. It's just fascinating. It shows these trackers that put them in players' pockets, not in their carts. And the neat thing about this is uh, it shows you where the players go, but more importantly, where they don't go. And so if they're not playing a certain portion of the golf course, why maintain it? So a lot of the roughs around the tees and some bunkers, stuff like that. But for forward tees, it's fascinating. You have capability to take all of the male players out of this tool and just track where are the female players going. So you've got this heat map that shows where all the guys on this par five are hitting a 210 yard drive and you can see the color. It's kind of a yellowish and orangish color that's right in the middle of it. And then they hit the next one, orange and massive color is about 181 yards. And they're 85 yards to the green. Well, that's exactly what that hole should be as a driver three wood wedge for the average guy. So we take all the guys out of the picture and we say, okay, let's look at just the women. And the average is about 141 off the tee. Good. Second shot's 129, a little longer, but that's okay. Third shot is 119. And now we're hitting our fourth shot from 70 yards, which is a short iron into a par five. And the heat map shows it. So what you do is you take then with this resource management tool and you hypothetically add a T where it should go. In this case, it's 140 yards, 120 yards and a 60 yard, 59 yard wedge. Well, on the, on the photo, it's a huge reduction in the size of the fairway. So what this tool allows you to do is to, on your golf course, input data on your costs and it then gives you costs for each portion of your golf course. How much does it cost annually to maintain a fairway, right. a green, a bunker, a tee? And in this particular case, on their ninth hole, the cost for maintaining the ninth fairway at this golf course is $15,329.30 based on U.S. average. Okay, so we took that number and just hypothetically said, okay, if the tee goes here, we can take off and reduce the fairway size. The overall cost drops to $13,216. Well, you just made a savings of about 2000 bucks. And if the T cost by an outside contractor 2000 bucks, then there is a fast return on investment. And how do you put a price on player enjoyment, pace of play, and having those players come back? This particular golf course doesn't have a lot of heavy female play because it's too long and too hard. It's 5,400 yards. That's too long. And so it's, it's a fascinating tool to combine with the forward T. It's something that the USGA is beta testing. And I know in BC, they're going to be doing, we're going to be doing a lot of testing this summer, I hope. 
but it's, it really puts an end to any questions. And it's an incredibly valuable tool. Like you said, data talks for golf folks that are maintaining golf courses and members and, and trying to keep costs under control. Right. You can start to look at your course in a different way and start to uh, manipulate your numbers down rather than up. So that one's we hope will be out in full force next year. And every, every golf course can uh, get a hold of it. It's not very expensive. It's like $900 a year as a starting point. Good stuff. So I know you've been at this with T at Forward for some time. And you've seen a change of hearts and minds of people even a decade ago or even beyond that, that absolutely steadfastly refused that they would not play from a forward tee. And you're starting to see that change with more experienced golfers as, as elite level golfers as they get older. You found that through conversations and some evidence that people are slowly kind of changing that mindset. I guess you see this too. It's like, well, now it's an executive course, so it's not a real golf course. I'm sure you hear these conversations all the time. Is Are you noticing a change in the mindset of some people that are now willing to embrace this because they want to be putting for birdies and pars rather than chipping for bogeys? Yeah, uh, boy, you, all of a sudden I've got five or six different stories I could tell you, but I'll give you a couple. Hey, go for it. I was just up at Marine Drive a couple of weeks ago and going around the golf course, had the honor to go around with Jim Urbina, the golf course architect. And Jim is on the same page as I am. And he's the absolute advocate of forward tees. He gets it, he sees it, and it's been that way for years. But he made a comment that I thought, boy, that's a perfect analogy. He says, when I used to bring this up at golf courses and do visits and tour around, I get a punch in the gut from people. Their negativity was so strong. And I looked at him, I said, yeah, but Jim, what about today? Have you noticed that the punch in the gut is kind of like a little tap on the arm? <laughs> and in fact, some people might even give you a hug. And he did agree with that, that it is changing. At my course, I'll give you here, Canterwood down in Gig Harbor, very difficult golf course, first built. The architect was told to make it the hardest course in the state. He did it. And I know when I first moved here in 1993, people would come out and play the golf course and they would not join. Why? It's too hard. And it wasn't the guys that were saying it. It was the women at 55 to 5,600. It was too much. We added about eight years ago, forward tees to get it down to 5,100. Right. Before those forward tees were added, a lot of my friends, I'm 67. So friends I play with, and then the older guys that are here, they absolutely steadfastly said, there's not a chance I'll ever play the ladies tees, which were at 55, 56. Now we fast forward eight years and those guys all winter long play the old forward tees at 55 to 56. Many of them retain that through the entire year. And now we have the silver tees and our silver tees are down around 51. And there's a few of them playing there. And I know that when we finish, we still have some tees we need to do that they'll move there. Well, if they weren't there, they'd probably quit. And that's no business model to have. You've got to retain your older players. And then again, on the other side, when new players come to join, possibly, you better have something there that they enjoy. Gosh, that was fun. I'd like to play here all the time. Yeah. And then there's kids and providing that. Now, one clarification, every now and then I'll go to a course and they'll say, well, yeah, our family tees. Well, no, this, that's a different concept. PGA has family tees and markers on fairways. I see courses all the time that put family tees. Mm -hmm. Family tees, if my number's right, but I think you can start putting up a slope and a course rating at 32 or 3,300 yards, somewhere in there. Forward tees, we're talking about usually between 4,000 to 4,300, somewhere in that range. The family tees do not have markers on a fairway. They have a, maybe a disc or a mark on the side by cart path. Forward tees have markers. They're two different entities. And I'm a huge advocate of family tees. When your kids come out, absolutely take them out there and let them have fun. 
Absolutely. And so I've personally suffered from this pain point of player enjoyment. My wife does not play golf, but I will come home after playing with, I'm, I'm an 18 handicap, kind of in that range there. And I'll be playing with some friends that are better. So they're low single digit. And then we play from tees a little farther back. So next thing you know, I'm playing 6,300 yards. And of course, I'm struggling to probably not even shooting. I'm shooting between 95 and 100, not having a great time. And I come home after spending all day out there, spending probably $100. And I'm in a bad mood then. And my wife is like, really? Really? That's what you're going to do with your day? You're not here with us and you're doing something and spending the money and you're actually in a worse mood now than you were when you left for your recreational day? You think about it, it doesn't make any sense at all. There was no enjoyment in that. So yes, you're, you're certainly uh, on to something here because I've been uh, living that pain myself. Colin, the, my recommendation is get new friends with the right handicap. <laughs> <laughs> or even just being comfortable saying, hey guys, if you want to play back there, that's cool, but I'm going to be playing up, up a little bit forward. And if it happens, I don't see you for 15% less time. That's the way it is. I see that all the time and recommend it all the time. I have friends that we do it all the time. And quite often, I just, if I'm playing with shorter hitters, let's, let's just play the forward tees. Yeah. I have no problem with it at all. The goal should be to have fun and spend some social time with some good people. Quite often, we've all gone through this where we play with players that are better. And let's play the tips. And, oh, God, okay, if we, if we have to. It's not fun. It's hard. It's a part of the game that's really critical. Yeah. There's a certain group of people. I mean, you're trying to get better, and that'll make you better. But for a whole lot of folks, it's really not. And it's too much. So, so the whole goal of this thing is to give every player an opportunity to enjoy it. Yeah. And if you've got a good swing speed, gosh, move back. But if you don't, let's give them a chance to have some fun and keep the game going as far as I'm concerned. Well, uh, absolutely. As you very well know, that the pain points that golf has suffered for quite a few years as far as onboarding new people. What is that barrier for non-golfers is between it takes too long to play, it's too hard to learn, it's too expensive. And by removing those, even a couple of those through this initiative is just a great way to get more people to onboard. I use the analogy, I've used this in a slightly different context, talking about alternate golf formats. I snowboard and our family skis, so I use this analogy, the ski hill. So you imagine the first time you've ever got on a snowboard or skied that I'm taking you out, Larry, and saying, well, no, no, we're, we're going to go past the bunny hill. We're going to go past that nice groomed green run, nice and flat. Oh, forget that blue run of oh, that black diamond. I'm going to take you on the backside of a glacier and a double black diamond experience for the first time is like, here we go. This is what we're going to do. So with golf, having that 6,300 yard or even 5,800 yard experience for a lot of people, it's more psychological. They're not going to physically hurt themselves, but it's like a double black diamond experience. And golf has always said, well, that's just the way it is. If you're going to play, that's what you have to do. And you are certainly creating more of that green run experience here through the initiatives with the Tia Forward program. What a great, I never heard that analogy, Colin. That's a great analogy. And like you said, I just paid $100 for this. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, it's, I've just been miserable. It's not been worth it at all. But you're, if you're a golfer, you know as well as I do that on that 18th green, you make that 20-footer. And you're, oh, God, I'm coming back. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. That one good shot always brings you back. It certainly does. So looking to the past here, as you mentioned, with U.S. women's amateur champion Alexis Sterling over 100 years ago, she got it right. And we're now just moving forward to make it more accessible and more friendly and more enjoyable for everybody, especially that massive untapped ocean of non-golfers. So with that, so we've talked about the past and the Mod Golf podcast here, Larry, as we finish up, we always like to talk about the future. So I'd like to hear what your thoughts of where would you like to see this go or what the average golf course, both public and private, would look like, let's say, 
let's say 20 years from now. What is your aspiration for that, Larry? I don't think there's any question this is going to take over golf. I see it happening right now. I really noticed in the last three years. And again, this isn't being pushed by female players. This is the older guys, the majority of the players that are playing this game, losing their swing speeds. And every course is going to have this. I feel absolutely confident in that that statement. In my opinion, this is the biggest thing that can help the game. It hits all those three buttons, the pace of play, the player enjoyment, economic sustainability. And courses that don't do this are going to be in a lesser competitive stance, not that expensive, easy to do, and you provide that option. And I'm seeing it all over the place. Didn't see it five years ago. Well, golfers were five years younger and had more swing speed, but it is happening right now. So absolutely, that's going to be a huge part. I think in 20 years, because of costs going up on the agronomic side, especially water, we got to reduce our acreage amount. And this helps. Certainly putting tees back further doesn't help. And so coming in and and not maintaining areas around tees, if there's no balls going there, why are we maintaining them? Right. I know courses down in Arizona with water, they're putting down subsurface drip systems underneath Bermuda grass tees up to an 85 to 90% or more reduction in water use. Because all it is, is just the roots going down and finding the water in a drip. None of the water going around the desert. It's just the tea. And so that technology is coming. We have bunkers. Of course, I was just at yesterday down in Oregon. They're way over-architected. Golf course won't name it, but they're currently in the process of taking out 45 bunkers. That's a massive savings that they'll be able to accrue from that. And then at the same time, they're going more natural in their roughs. So in 20 years, we're going to see that. And the architects are on board from what I've seen. They are absolutely on board on forward tees and reducing the resource footprint on golf courses. Love that response. That is, I think, very encouraging for the golf industry and the game itself. Other people use the term grow the game. I like to talk about the evolution of the game or the progression of the game. And I think all the things you touched on there, Larry, will certainly push that in the right direction. So, hey, while we finish up here, why don't you let our listeners know where they can learn more about the Tee It Forward program? Well, the USGA, go to our our USGA website, www.usga.org. We have a lot of information on Tee It Forward, the program. As far as what I'm talking about and specifically talking about golf courses, I wish I could do this the rest of my life, but I'll be retiring at the end of this year. But if you have a a, a scorecard and you want to have your course analyzed, I'd be happy to do it. From that conference we had at BC Golf, Colin, uh, I've had six or seven courses that have just sent me their scorecards and I just fire back. This is what you need. It's their choice. I'm not going to make them do anything. But that information is available at no charge. Now, if you catch me next year, I may have to charge you, but not this year. I'm just trying to help the game. I tell people all the time, I don't care if it's educating one person at a time. I'm that adamant about this being the key to the game. We just got to make the game more fun. It's tough enough as it is. And to get more people in, it's got to be fun. That is a great place to leave it here. It certainly does. It's all about having fun and on the business side about making money, increasing your margins there. And this certainly tackles both of those. It's not an either or. This is an and. That's the most successful solutions that appeals to everybody. So, hey, why don't we leave it there, Larry? So, Larry Gahuli, agronomist with the USGA and staunch advocate for the Tee It Forward initiative. Larry, hey, thanks so much for taking some time today on the Mod Golf Podcast and telling us all about this. Well, thank you, Colin. I appreciate that. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Larry Gahuli, who is an agronomist for the United States Golf Association and an advocate for the Tee It Forward program. I'd love to hear what you found interesting and useful in this episode. So please share your thoughts by emailing me at colin at modgolfpodcast.com and I promise to get back to you. If you'd like to learn more about the innovative and inclusive work Larry collaborates on, go to our episode page where we've included links and photos to provide you with additional content. 
I'd like to extend my gratitude and thanks to our sponsor partners, British Columbia Golf and Nextlinks, for helping make the Mod Golf podcast happen. And I also want to send a big welcome to our newest sponsor, Golf Genius Software. Without their support, I wouldn't be able to bring you these engaging stories from the golf industry's brightest innovators and influencers. Are you a golf course owner or operator struggling with the complexities of running tournaments? Do you want to spend less time running them while increasing revenue and profit margins? Check out our friends at Golf Genius to learn how they can help make the magic happen at golfgenius.com. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more of our innovation stories on previous episodes at mod.golf or search Mod Golf Podcast on iTunes. And please rate, review, and subscribe to the show while you're there. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks so much for joining me. Bye for now.